We, at the beginning of this month, we said we're going to do something that we've never done before. We're going to do something totally different. And we're going to designate August as a month of rest, right? Kind of a, a Sabbath month for us. The whole idea came up a year ago. We were in a staff meeting, and one of our staff members said, hey, what do you think about taking the month of August or some month and just, like, rest? Not have a lot of heavy programming, not doing a lot, but just taking the time to kind of recuperate. And it's funny, my initial reaction was, no, we can't do that. Right? That is not the way Ambassador Church rolls, right? We don't rest. We have a lot to do. There's always a lot to do. We got to get busy. We got to make the name of Jesus known around the world, right? We got his kingdom that's coming and we have to prepare the soil for that. We've got we've to prepare and make this kingdom of God visible to all people. We got too much to do. We, we got to work. We can rest in eternity, right? We can rest in heaven. We got to get busy. That's been the culture of this church. And that was my initial reaction. But upon sitting with it, you know, for a little while, it's kind of like, Maybe that's part of our culture that needs to change. You know, we've been a church that has had our foot on the gas pedal. Like, we just go, right? If you've been around for years, that's kind of, you know, that's what we do. We just, and one thing ends, we go on to the next thing. And that ends, we go on to the next thing. And we're always chasing what is next. But the Lord kind of put on my mind, like, over this last year, like, what would it look like to have a, a church that has a rhythm? Like, that's not just gas pedal down, but has a rhythm that there's times where we walk, there's times where we run, there's times where we soar, you know, kind of taking that language from Isaiah 40, it's a different context, but kind of having that in mind, like, yeah, there's times where we just, where we're walking, you know, we're, we're, we're just kind of moving, you know, but we're walking, and there's times where we got to run, you know, this, like, July was a time of running, okay, we had upwards, and we had VBS, and we had a retreat, and we had who knows what else, that was a time of running. But what would it look like to have just a rhythm in our church? What would it look like to have a time where we rested so that we can enter that next season a little bit replenished, refreshed? We're not exhausted and tired, but we've got uh, some space in our life. And so we said, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's take August. It doesn't mean that we didn't have church service. We didn't do outreaches. It didn't mean that we didn't have classes. Like, we did that stuff, but we kept the programming kind of low-key, pretty mellow. And we also just said, let's teach on it too. Let's take this month to teach on what rest looks like. And so if you've been with us this last month, I wonder kind of how you have um, heard this. Like when you first heard that we're going to do a, a sermon series on rest, what, would you, what were you thinking? It's like, that's a whole lot of Sundays like on just sleeping, you know? Like how much can be said about that, you know? Um, is that what you thought? Or you know, did you kind of go along the lines of like, where is rest in the Bible? Where do we see that? And, and that has been our, our hope, our intention, is for you to kind of see uh, uh, or develop a theology of what rest looks like right, for our lives, as what rest looks like in the kingdom of God, what it looks like for the Christian. And so hopefully we have been able to show you some of that. It started, we kind of looked in four directions, all right? We looked back, we looked inward, we looked outward, and now we're going to kind of looking from here forward. That'll be today's sermon. But remember, we looked back. We said, like, where does this rest come from? Is there, does Scripture say anything about rest? 
in it. And we saw so quickly right there, very beginning of chapter 2 of Genesis, where on the seventh day, what did God do? He ceased. He quit working. He rested. He had a Sabbath. So we saw that. We saw how it played out in the Ten Commandments, in the Fourth Commandment, like have a Sabbath day, keep it holy, right? Take time to do that. We, throughout, we didn't look uh, a lot at this, but there's, there's uh, these rhythms in Israel for every seven years, have a Sabbath year, the year of Jubilee, every 50 years, take a Sabbath. So there's, there's definitely, we see places in Scripture that it's there. We saw it play out in the prophets where the, uh, Israel didn't do the Sabbath. There, that was a lot of this, uh, the pain. They didn't trust God. They, did, they disobeyed him. They didn't follow that Sabbath. Uh, then later on, the Jews put so much rules around the Sabbath. They, they added rules to it. that it just kind of stripped the Sabbath of all joy and all purpose. But that's looking back. We saw that it's intentional. It was intentional in the Old Testament. We also say it's intentional in the New Testament. Jesus talks about it. A lot. And kind of redefines what it is. That he's the Lord of the Sabbath. That Sabbath was made for men. And so we see that even though it was important in the Old Testament, it's important for us in the New Testament as, as living on this side of the cross as Christians that we should pay attention to what this looks like. How do we rest with the Lord? So we looked backwards. We looked inward. We said we have limits, right? We are finite people. We have our limits. And God knows that. God's not up there like a coach saying, give me everything you got, leave it all on the field. Right? God knows that you need time to rest. And he puts that in our weekly schedule. So we're finite. It's okay to take a nap. And that's hard for those of you who are, are very efficient, who are the type A people. But God's saying, it's okay. Take time to rest. You need it. We looked outward. Last week, we looked outward, just saying it's, it's, we're a part of the community. This is not just an individual thing. It's a community thing that we, as a, in, a, in our regular rhythm, we take time to rest together. And in doing so, we, we commune together, right? We seek reconciliation and forgiveness, and we, we make things right in our life. So there's a whole uh, communal aspect of rest, but today, we're going to kind of look at, like, how we enter that rest. What's it look like today, but also what's it look like for eternity? Because this Sabbath rest is not something that's just here and now. It's not just something that we'll experience here in this life. It's going to be a description of what eternity looks like, this Sabbath rest. And so it's important, right? It's important for us to understand what does this mean when we talk about rest and we talk about the sabbath what does god have in mind what does he have for us so we will be looking at that today and and i'm hoping i'm hoping that this helps you even right now to be able to sit today to rest with the lord and to trust him and to grow in your relationship and move forward with him in this relationship there's a, a, a one concept that we haven't really talked about uh, in the past, but it's something that I, I, I think can kind of help frame what the Sabbath looks like, right? For so, so many of us, it's so many like, it's, you know, do this, don't do that, you know, let's try to not, you know, make God grumpy by doing the wrong things. But as we've been in this process, as I've been looking at the Sabbath, I see it more as, as us bonding with God, taking a day to bond with him. Not just a day, but in our normal lives, throughout our rhythm, throughout our weeks, every day of the week, to, to have moments where we bond with him. 
And how do you bond with someone? You spend time with them. You eat with them. You converse with them. You play with them. You rest with them. You serve with them. You do these things together. And as you do this, you grow this bonding relationship. And I believe that's really what the intent of this day is. It's a day for us to just to, to step out of the world, that, the mold of the world that it squeezes us in all the time, and to step out and say, I'm going to step into the Lord's mold. I'm going to step into the, the mold of the kingdom of God. I'm going to step into the king's mold. And I'm going to spend time bonding with him. And so we do that through worship, through singing. We do that through the, the, a meal. We do it with the, through the community that we have here. We do it when we see that, take that picture of the sunset in the evening, and we just say, all of this is yours, Lord. Thank you. I recognize you, God, of all of this. And this is all a gift for me, and I want to take time to love you and to bond with you. And so I hope that that's been something that has been helpful for you, a way to kind of rethink, reimagine what it looks like to have a Sabbath rest with him. So that's what I'm, I'm hoping we experience. But let me just say this as we move from here, that in order to enter into the rest, to, enter, to be able to begin to have this rest, you cannot do it without trusting in God. You cannot do it if you do not trust him that he is good, he is loving, and that he has your best future for you. Rest requires trust. And one of the, there's several passages that talk about the Sabbath, but one of the most important, I think, is in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4 kind of talk, uh, uh, use, draw a lot on Israel, on, on their uh, disobedience, we'll put it that way, during that Exodus time when they left uh, Egypt, before they entered the promised land, those 40 years of wandering the desert, he, he looks at that. And he's drawing, the, the, the author's drawing the, the comparison from that to entering into his rest. That they didn't enter into the promised land because they didn't trust him. And as he's saying to us today, that here, today is the day to enter into the rest, right? The promise, and you do that. Through trusting. Trusting is always facing forward, right? We're always, if you're going to trust somebody, it's always into the future, right? We don't really have that with the past. The past is already gone. So when we talk about trust and we talk about entering into this rest, it's really, it's looking towards the future and saying, can I trust God with my future? Can I trust him? Does he, does he, he care about me? Does he know what I need and does he have the ability to do it? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4 together. In verse 1, it's a strong warning. It starts with this. It says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be, uh, be found to have fallen short of it. Okay, so let's stop right there. What, what does this mean? He's saying, um, since the promise of entering rest still stands, it's here today, There's, it's still the day to enter his rest, to start a relationship with him. He says, be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Okay, what does it mean to fall short of that? How might one fall short of entering into God's rest? I'd say this, by lacking faith. By, by not putting our whole faith, our wholehearted faith into God. All right, but you might ask this, is it possible? Is it possible for a believer 
to not believe, to not have that trust. I mean, isn't that the definition of a believer, someone who believes in God? Yeah, it is. But we've seen so many people who believe in God. I believe he's there, but I'm not going to trust him. I, I, I can't trust him. I believe in God. I, I believe that there's someone there who's guiding, who's, and, and maybe all that you say is true. He loves and he's powerful, but I don't know if I can trust him with my life. That's what he says. You have to be so careful that you do not fall short of that. Don't be someone who just says, ah, yeah, 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 I believe, but doesn't follow it with trust. Why does he say that? He, he goes back to these people in Egypt that he brought out of, uh, that he brought out of Egypt. They, they believed in him. They saw what he did. He did the miraculous. They were slaves. And he made them free, men and women. I mean, here, what, two, three million people that were slaves, and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you out, I'm going to make you free. That's a miraculous miracle. That's a God of power. And not only were they freed, they became out like rich. You know, all their neighbors, their Israelite neighbors were giving them jewels and gold and money, and they, 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 like, they pilfered Israel, they let, or Egypt, and they, they came out rich, free. Like, that's something that only God can do. He opened up the waters. They crossed through. Uh, Pharaoh's army was destroyed. Like, they believed God. They saw him give water through a rock. They saw him do, you know, feed them, you know, in the desert. They saw all these things. But when he says, but now we're going to cross into uh, the promised land. They said, no, 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 we're not doing that. <laughs> we're not doing that. There's no way. All right, I mean, freeing us from Egypt is one thing, but from giving us, you know, the land and this to, to clear out all those nations, there's so many nations. It says they would rather be back in Egypt. And that was the thing. Remember, they complained and grumbled. They said we would rather be back in Egypt, be slaves where we had good onions and good leeks. I mean, man, those things were so tasty. We wanted that. And do you, do you see, like, the, there, there's belief, but there's not the trust? And that was their heart. They complained. They grumbled. And God was not pleased. That is not the way to endear God's heart to you, right? So what did he do? He, he sent some plagues. A time where he opened up a whole giant sinkhole in the, in the earth. And many of those grumbling people fell through. There were snakes. There was leprosy. But know this. During that whole time, even though they did not trust, through their unbelief, through their, their untrusting spirit, God still cared for them. He still gave them food every morning. He still provided for them all that they needed, water in the desert, food, care. He put his tabernacle right in the middle of them and said, this is where I'm meeting with you. I'm not abandoning you. I'm still with you. It's a beautiful thing of just this, how God, how deep he loves us. Though they lacked faith, it did not automatically withdraw God's love from them in his care. He says, I'm going to continue to love you. But yet, there were effects of that. They did, the things did change. Because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter the promised land. Instead of enjoying the beautiful uh, coast breeze, 
found in the promised land, they were in the desert. The hot desert. Instead of having uh, homes that they lived in, they lived in tents. Instead of having fruit that they could pull off their own tree or vegetables from their own garden, they had manna and whatever desert produce was out there being sold on the, on the road. Probably not very good. But God still loved them and he cared for them. If you hear his voice saying, trust me, Come into the future. Try something new. Follow me. We need to trust. We need to follow. As followers, as believers, as Christians, that's baked into who we are. We follow him. We trust him wherever he goes. It's looking forward. It's not looking to the past. The Israelites looked to the past. Oh, the onions, how it was back there when we were slaves. And he's saying, but I have a promised land for you. I have so much for you. Will you trust me? So many of us just live in the past. It's the, whether it's the, the glory days, like it was so good back then, or it was like that's where the hurt came, that's where the pain came. We live in the past, and when we live in the past, you can't look to the future. When you live in the past, you can't trust him for the future. There was a, a movie that came out probably, probably 20 years ago. does not seem like that long, but it's one of my favorites, one of my family favorites. It's what we watch when we're just wasting time. It's called Napoleon Dynamite. You guys remember that one? Take place like in Idaho. Just a quirky movie. And uh, one of the characters is a guy named Uncle Rico. All right, Uncle Rico. Remember Uncle Rico? All right, he's, I don't know, let's say 38. But he, all he could think about was him when he was a high school quarterback. Do you remember that? State champions. Idaho State Championship. His team was in it, and they lost the state championship just by a, a, a touchdown. And he kept saying, 20 years later, if only coach let me in. So he was a backup quarterback. He was a second string. If only coach would have let me in, I would have made that pass. We would have been state champions. And even to the day, you know, he's out there throwing footballs, trying to perspire you know, get the right, right spiral. He's he living in the past. And because he's living in the past, he has, there's, there's so much in the future that he can't even see. But so many of us are holding on to that state championship. If only coach would let me in. If only God would have done this. You've got to let go. Right? That's, I think, Jesus' words. He's, come to me, all you who are stuck in 1980. Right? I will give you rest. All of you stuck in 1990 or 2000 or 70s or 60s, whatever it is, all you who are stuck in the past and you're laboring and you're just replaying it and just you can't get past it. He says, come to me. I will give you rest. I will give you a future. Can we let go? Like I said, whether it's those glory days that we want it to be like or, or it's the, the, the hurt, the pain that happened, that we just can't go. As followers of Christ, we follow him. And in following, it requires trust. To trust him, to let him lead us. Today is the day. So he says, be very careful not to fall short. How do we fall short? By not trusting him and looking to him and following him into the future. The next thing, verse 2. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, 
just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declare an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. What is he talking about? Same thing, the Israelites. He says, I told them. I told them that I was going to bring them into the promised land, but they did not have faith. They disobeyed. There were only two that obeyed, right? Jacob or um, Caleb and Joshua. Those two obeyed. They said, we can do this. We trust God. He's got us. He, he delivered us from Egypt. He can deliver us from all these guys. They're nothing for him. But the rest disobeyed. And he says, they'll never enter my rest. But he says, but now you, you who have obeyed the message, you believe the message of Jesus, you can enter my rest. Right? You come in because you have belief and, and with belief you have trust. See, there's this, this subtle definition, this difference between belief and trust. We need them both. But they, they, they go together. Leon Morris, in his commentary in Hebrew, said, faith is the attitude of trusting God wholeheartedly. Right? It's wholehearted trust in him. So if we talk about having faith in God, growing our faith in God, it's, just, it's a wholehearted belief and trust in him. And so when it says, we who have believed, we have faith, we enter rest, it's, he's saying, we who have wholeheartedly trusted in God, we will enter that rest. So that's the faith that pleases God. It's the belief and trust together. But what, what angers them, what drives them nuts, is when we separate those two things. We said, yeah, I believe, but I don't trust. We cannot do that. That's falling short. Do you believe him? And do you trust him? Do you believe that he's good? Do you believe that he's loving? Do you believe that he's watching over you? Do you believe that he's wise? And will you trust him in those things? See, the trust and that rest go together. You, you cannot rest if you don't trust something. Okay? You, you've even been to like a kind of that sketchy hotel, you know? You paid a lot of money for it, so you thought it would be really nice, but then you get there and you're like this. I am not sleeping in that bed. You know, we've done that once, and we're like, uh, car looks pretty good tonight. I'm not sleeping in that bed. Um, several years ago, before I was married, I lived in Elisa Viejo uh, with some roommates. And if you know about Elisa Viejo, much like Irvine, they're known for their ants. Like, a lot of ants. Like, we always had ants. I remember one night sleeping and like, what? You know, kind of rousing somewhere in the middle of the night. And like, what is that? You know, what's that? Why am my face tickling? And uh, woke up only to find, turn on the lights and see like ants throughout the bed. Like, so like makes me gross right now. Probably you too, right? Just gross. I, I don't know. Maybe I had eaten cookies in bed that night or I don't know what it was, but there were just ants everywhere and like, ugh, so gross. I mean, what do you do? You, you know, take all your sheets immediately. You throw them away or well, wash them or throw them away. I didn't have a lot of money, so I had to wash them, right? But then, you know, get the ant spray and now your room smells like raid and all that. You, you know what? You are not sleeping that night. 
The next night, the ants are gone, the raid smell's gone. I remember sleeping, but I, I woke up like every 10 minutes. The sheet, you know, would just kind of tickle your arm or, you know, the wind would blow your hair. I had much longer hair those days. So, you know, my face would tickle. And every time it's like, oh, there's ants, ants, ants. You, there's no way to rest when you don't trust, you know, the bed, the bed is clean. It took me a long time to be able to sleep back then. The point, though, is that if we don't trust that God is good and that he loves us, we're never going to rest. We're never going to find that rest. We're always going to be anxious. We're going to be worried. We're going to be fearful. What is the future? What's it have? What's next? What's going to happen? How can I fix it? And we live these lives of worry. That's why Paul says, don't be worried. What he's saying is, don't be worried. You've got to trust the Lord. It's not that there aren't things to worry about. In Matthew 6, he's like, you, gotta, you can worry about food, you can worry about clothes, you can worry about all things throughout the day. But what do you do? Seek first the kingdom of God, and then he'll take care of these things. All of that saying the same thing. It's trusting in him. Principle is this. The more you trust God, the more you experience his rest. The more that you learn to trust God, the more you will be at rest. That the an- anxious thoughts, the anxiety, the worries will dissipate. doesn't mean we don't have responsibilities. It doesn't mean we're not uh, actively seeking and doing our best at work and these things, but it's, it's God's calm rest upon your life. As we learn to trust him, the more you trust God, the more you will find rest. To continue in this passage, I'll skip to verse 9. It says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's here. The Sabbath rest is for you. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Here's the paradox. He's, 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 he's putting work and rest together kind of in that same thought. That as you rest in him, the work that you do is not laborsome or toilsome. Do you remember that? Like I just read from, uh, from Matthew chapter 11. When it says, come to me, all you who are uh, labor, all of you who are tired, I will give you rest. And then what does he say? Take my hammock and rest? <laughs> he doesn't say that. He says, take my yoke on you. Yoke, that's a work instrument. That's what you put on a beast of burden to plow a field. How? How can you come to me and have rest? Now, let's get to work. Like, well, how does that make sense? Because God's work is easy work. God's work is like you're trusting in him. Trusting him to do the hard work. But what does he say? Take this yoke on me. Learn from me. Learn from me. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Christians. What are we to do? We enter through belief. And in our belief, we say, we're going to trust you, Lord. And as we trust, we say, now I'm going to yoke myself to Christ. And that's where I'm going to find rest. But that's also where I find my purpose in work. Right? When, when, uh, even with God, it says that on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested from his work. But a little later on in John chapter 5, Jesus, what did Jesus say? He says, my father's always working, right? And as he works, I work. 
That's why I'm doing these healings on the Sabbath. That's why I'm healing people. The, the guy with the withered hand or the guy who can't walk. Because God's at work, I'm at work. Like, how does God rest, but yet he's working? And Jesus says, I did the work. I did the work of salvation, right? I went to the cross, and then I said, it is finished. In Hebrews 10 tells us that he sat down at the right hand of God. And what is he doing? He's working. He's working for you. So how do you, what does this look like? What do you mean you rest, but now I work? But here's where he's getting at. He's saying, here's the work of those who follow Christ. Here's the work in the kingdom of God. Bring restoration. Bring freedom. You share love, kindness, and peace. You bring order to this world. You live the values. You work the values of the kingdom of heaven that God has put in our lives. And when you do that work, it's not toilsome. It's not pointless. It has a purpose. It brings the kingdom of God here. But when you don't do that, when you worry, when you're all upset and stressed, and you are, you are not contributing to that, and that's when your work is toilsome. So learn how to trust the Lord. How, how do you work with him? And in your work, we find that joy. Yeah, you might be tired. And that's why he says, I'm going to give you one day to, to rest up. So take it. It doesn't mean that we're not going to get tired. But it means that what we do brings purpose. The work that we do. I'm looking out at all of you. I see you in your different careers. And tomorrow morning when you go, you're, you're going to rest today. Tomorrow you're going to go back to work. And you can work for the world. Or you can say, I'm going to work for the Lord. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to bring order. I'm going to bring healing and wholeness. Education. Whatever you do, you're bringing these values to our world that we desperately need to see. There remains a Sabbath rest for his people. Let us make every effort to enter that rest. A couple things here. First, strive to comprehend God's divine Sabbath rest. He, he describes it in, chap, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 3 and 5, two, uh, one way. He says, it's, it's my rest, right? You can enter my rest. This is God's gift to you, his gift. So today, the Sabbath day is a gift to you, for you to enjoy. Being able to work with him, alongside of him, is a gift so understand, these are, this is a, a, a joyful, satisfying, pleasing gift that God has given you. Enjoy it. Do good with it. The second, grow in a firm belief of God's power and love. Like, grow in this belief that, that you have a God who knows you and who loves you, who has power and wisdom. He's the same God who raised Jesus from the dead. He's the same God who knocked down the walls of Jericho, just like that, who parted the, the Red Sea, all these things. That's the same God who is here. The power that he has is living within us through the Holy Spirit. Believe in that. But third, add trust to that belief. Don't just say, I know that God is powerful, but say, and now I'm going to trust him with it. I'm going to trust him. Though my heart is burdened and weary, I'm going to trust him. 
And though it may not, and it often does not make sense, that I'm going to still trust him. Right? I mean, I can go through. Is God good? Yes. Is he loving? Yes. Um, does he know uh, what is best for me? Yes. Does it make sense? No. Most of the time it doesn't. Especially when it comes to sickness, right? And health. And there's so many in our church that are struggling uh, with health. That doesn't make sense. I mean, these are good people. They're wonderful followers of Jesus. Why are they suffering this way? It doesn't always make sense, but does it, does it, does it mean that we, can, we can't trust the Lord? We can. So if you are in the midst of that, Lord, the Lord is calling you. Say, just reach out. Just trust me. I've got you. I know the future is uncertain, but I've got you. Whether it's eyes, whether it's heart, whether it's hearing, whether it's balance, reproduction, digestion, memory, whatever it is, will you just trust me? I, I know I'm going to take care of you. It won't make sense, but I'm with you. For some of you, you're not there. You're doing fine. And this is the time to trust God. Trust him with the little things so that when the big things happen, I'm there. I believe you. So what is that biggest obstacle that you're experiencing? The biggest thing that's causing you not to trust, is it your kids or your parents? Right? Maybe it's your work, school, jobs, health, future, retirement. What does it look like to trust him with that? I like to, um, I shouldn't say I like to, from time to time I swim. Right? Um, I'd like to do it more often. It's like right once a month right now. The hardest part, though, of, of swimming for me is getting in the water. It doesn't matter how warm or cold it is, it's always cold in there. And you, you know, you put your foot in, you're like, oh, I'm not going in. No way. What do you do? You, you just jump in. You just jump in and you just start swimming and after 20 seconds, you're fine, right? Your body warms up, you're okay. That's for some of us right now. Like, we gotta test the water. And we put our foot in and we're like, no, I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna trust him. It's easier for me on the ground. I've lived my whole life here. It's fine. I'm better on the ground. But God's calling you saying, jump in. Just jump in. Yeah, there might be some deep water. Maybe there's uh, some waves that come. But I'm good. I've got you. I'm powerful. I've, don't worry. Test the waters of faith and just see what he can do. As we wrap up this series on rest, what I want us to see today is that we, we can't rest unless we trust. We just trust him. And that starts with a, maybe a small thing today. Uh, maybe you're just saying, hey, I, there is no time to rest because I have things to do. I have things to do you know, to get ready for this next week. Can you take some time to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. It will get done. That you'll give me favor, you'll give me productivity, whatever I need to get it done when the time's right. But let me just take some time to slow down. Let me take some time to bond with you. Maybe you've thought of the, the, the day of rest or Sabbath with a lot of I have to do these or I can't do those. But reframe it and saying, what is good? And what is right? How can I enjoy God? How can I, I, I bond with him today in these moments? Whether it's a walk, it's a rest, a good a game on TV, some good family time, going to lunch with each other afterwards. 
Take time to do what is good. Take time to enjoy the Lord and build that trust in him. Today is our Sabbath day. Today is the day to trust in him, to rest from our work, whatever that is, physical, real work, or trying to earn our salvation and earn his favor. Rest from that and trust that the Lord has you, that he is good.